Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Kate, thank you so much for, for giving up some of your time and coming on to ADHD Chatter. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I was just um, feeling how, saying how lucky I am to meet you because for me, when I started my journey into neurodiversity about seven months ago, your, your podcast was the, one of the, the, the channels that I went to for information and advice. So um, yeah, just a personal thank you for all of the work that you're doing. And, and it really shone a light for me when I started out. Thank you. Well, listen, you know, the fact that you went to my podcast and obviously, you know, you're now enlightened about ADHD and women a lot. And uh, yes, I'm sure the women in your life will probably be very grateful. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm glad I, I hear a lot that men listen to the podcast as well. And it's great that um, that people are sort of like being able to kind of understand it through the lens of um, the female experience. and um, But also that fact that ADHD is, you know, it's universal and it shows up in different ways and different people and doesn't have to be sort of one th- one rule for a man, one rule for a woman. But I guess when I did the podcast, started the podcast, I really wanted to kind of like understand the female experience, especially sort of getting that diagnosis later on in life. So thank you for listening. It's, it's remarkable because obviously I'm not... Uh... A, a female and I don't fit into your sort of target demographic but like you said it it the relatability was so clear especially like I personally think that I have a lot of of the female traits or the, or the I internalize a lot of mine so it's it, it was it was really remarkable listening and the the question I like to ask all of my guests coming onto this podcast is starting in the earlier years um and, and in your childhood how, how do you think someone who knew you back then would would describe Kate? Mm. Definitely a bit sort of airy-fairy, a bit of a daydreamer and a bit kind of um, head in the sky, um, quiet, um, you know, shy for sure. Um, Sort of didn't really bother anyone. Like didn't, I wasn't disruptive. I definitely wasn't sort of... um, jumping up and down in classrooms I mean I have looked at my um, reports going back and there were kind of little comments of Kate might need to stop chatting in class or if Kate concentrated more um, or if Kate contributed um, to class or if she handed her homework in on time so there was always that kind of like she could reach her potential if 
shh, these things. And obviously, you know, all these, these are like, you know, red flags for ADHD. But, and I also remember distinctly really like certain subjects, definitely the sciences, maths, anything that just was not interesting at all to me. I just, just no interest, no concentration, no focus. Um, quite happy to just not even bother. Uh, whereas the stuff that I did love, um, you know, the history, the English, the art, languages, um, I was very curious about, very interested in, really like, you know, pushed, pushed myself. And that has, you know, carried on, you know, stuff I'm not interested in, I couldn't give two hoots about, but the stuff I'm like, you know, want to hyper focus on, that's what, you know, especially now that I'm doing the stuff that I love. Um, I have so much energy and enthusiasm and motivation to succeed. Um, and that kind of, ha I guess, looking back, that's kind of, you know, um, that's where my ADHD showed up. I think you've created a really nice picture of, of, of how you how you were as a child. And is that, do you think, that understanding that you have now and, and in context of your earlier years, do you think that's given you the motivation to do the, the, the work that you're doing now around ADHD? Yeah, I think, I mean, listen, I've, I've had insights of ADHD all my life because my brothers, I'm, I'm, I've got two brothers, um, I'm in the middle and they were both diagnosed as kids. So I'm, you know, bearing in mind that would have been, you know, 90s, early 90s, um, potentially very late 80s. And there was always this kind of like conversation in the background of ADHD or ADD as you know, as they were called, we lived abroad for, you know, five or six years, and we were in an American system. And so ADHD was very, um, you know, that was that was very much a conversation in the American system, it was like straight away, you know, diagnosed on Ritalin. And I, that was only boys, literally only boys. I never met one girl with ADHD, I don't think. Um, well, obviously, undiagnosed ADHD. I think, you know, most of my mm. friends at school all were undiagnosed ADHD girls. Um, and <laughs> a lot of my friends now are still the same. And so mm. it just it just ended up being that I have seen ADHD manifest differently. I've seen it in the family. I've seen it in parents, in other extended family. I've seen how it can work very well but i've also seen how dreadful and horrendous it can go if it's left undiagnosed and untreated so that definitely has helped me and then you know i've got kids who've been diagnosed and myself being diagnosed at the age of 40. so i feel that i have an understanding in different capacities and i can see how it shows up and it's given me a lot of fire in my belly to to help a lot of people but especially women and girls because we have been underrepresented we've been misdiagnosed we've been missed and you know there's this sort of term that's been coined that with this lost generation of women who are in their sort of 30s 40s and 50s and beyond who have not been able to understand themselves and not had the um, support and the care and the recognition of what we've gone through and the validation and also we've not been helped you know therapeutically we've not been helped from a pharmaceutical um, perspective as well so I definitely believe that more women um, who are being diagnosed later in on life need that support. It's it's almost scary hearing you speak because it, it's such an echo of the voice of so many women that I've heard on this podcast and just generally in the community mm. um the, the the fact that they just went through so much of their life uh not knowing why they were struggling with overwhelm anxiety couldn't do certain things that apparently everyone else could do and why they struggled what was it that that made you 
think ADHD in in your life? Mm. So it was it was my daughter at the time who I was um, seeking a diagnosis um, when she was um, nine, and we'd been backwards and forwards with with looking at different help educational support for her and I'd had her assessed for dyslexia and dyspraxia and things just weren't conclusive it was kind of like yes it could be that but it might be a bit of this but ADHD was never bandied around ever it wasn't even talked about in those two different assessments and so I just couldn't understand why she was struggling in certain ways she was struggling in in ways that I could relate to, I could really relate to. And then it was during, you know, lockdown, homeschooling, having to sit with her, which was painful, incredibly triggering for me to have to sit down and do, you know, work that used to kind of like put the heebie-jeebies in me. And I was watching her basically react the same way I did. And it was kind of like this mirror image going backwards. I was like, oh my God, there's whatever she's got, I've got, Mm. because I understand exactly what she's going through. And then it was just me getting curious, doing research, and just all of a sudden going ADHD in girls, like going down a bit of a, a rabbit hole. And it was like, tick, 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 tick. And I was like, well, she's got that and I've definitely got that and we got diagnosed um within two weeks of each other um obviously I was with an adult um doctor she was with a child doctor and um it was like yes and then we actually spent a lot of time during lockdown going on walks together taking our dog um and listening with one ear pod in each ear for you know one of mine one in hers and listening to a podcast about ADHD and she was like I do that and I'm like I do that and she's like wow I didn't know when <laughs> anyone else felt like that and bear in mind she was nine nine or ten at the time and so she was mm. getting this awareness but I was also getting that same awareness um from an adult perspective but also being able to look at that younger version of me which was kind of my daughter like looking at it now it's a bit mad but um yeah being able to to kind of validate a lot of the stuff that I just thought I was particularly rubbish at and shit at and if I had if my daughter had that internal dialogue that I had had that would be like heartbreaking for me as a parent so it's basically been my quest if not obsession as my kids like to think that I'm just obsessed with ADHD um but in a good way because I'm obsessed with it because I want to help people and I want to create awareness and I want people to understand themselves better so they can thrive and not feel like they're on the back foot and they're not exhausted by life and actually they can harness what they've got with some help and support and scaffolding and be brilliant be brilliant in their own unique way which I don't think I'm living in a utopia I genuinely believe that if I had the tools and the understanding that I have now I think I would have academically succeeded better I think I hope anyway I mean, it, the the work that you are doing is is incredibly inspiring, and you can you can feel the the effect that it's having. You know, it's it's tangible the impact you're having on women and anyone who listens to the work that you do. Um, and you can feel the motivation that's coming from you. And to hear you say that story, you, you can really it adds a lot of colour as to to where that motivation comes from. And you the the amount of times where you hear like a child or someone in a family getting a, mm. going through the journey of discovery and then another family member going oh hang on I I do that as well mm. um and then like you said that happened to you you just get that moment of um of, of discovery together um which is so nice when yeah. you when you um got that penny drop moment I suppose or that light bulb moment and you got your diagnosis at 40 how did you feel 
felt, I, I mean, we, we always hear this a lot. It takes, it's a lot to process. I think initially I kind of went straight into that kind of like warrior mode of, I now need to help lots of people because I'd already been coaching and I'd already been doing a lot of training and kind of working towards wanting to help women, but I didn't have the language and I couldn't understand. And I was like talking to women in the same way that I needed that help, you know, a few years ago of overwhelm, anxiety, um, overthinking, restlessness, but I didn't understand like what it was. It was just lots of things, traits that I was trying to, you know, kind of and, and the audience was was building but then I was like oh my god this is the missing piece this is like now I understand talking to ADHD women like me um and that's when I just was like oh my god but what I didn't do I didn't I give myself time to process it so I kind of um went you know a million miles an hour typical ADHD hit a bit of a, a wall and I was like you know what I actually need to process this myself there was it was a lot there because there was a lot of grief and sadness but also shame embarrassment I, I, I literally just didn't talk about it to anyone apart from my husband even my parents who knew an ADHD but only knew it in, in in my brothers but also saw me as the one who kind of quote unquote had it together the one that looked like I was organized tidy neat um and they didn't really know what was going on in my head. They just sort of saw me a little bit kind of maybe slightly, you know, frazzled, but that at the most. So there was a lot of internal processing and reading and researching. And then I joined lots of Facebook groups. And that for me was quite detrimental to my mental mental health because it was a lot of it was like very negative, pessimistic stories. A lot of it was about like, you know, deep pain and I think as an empath I was taking on a lot of that and actually I was like able to I wanted to need a perspective I needed to look at my life and go actually there's a lot of stuff that has gone really well and stuff that I'm doing really well and now I have this added awareness this added lens that I can look through um I can just tweak some things this is okay um, and I know that's my privilege and that is my um I, i'm lucky in lots of respects um that i'm able to get a private diagnosis um, i'm able to work you know for myself that I, I i was working from home and i had a partner and all these different things that a lot of other women do struggle with so i had to sort of recognize that as well and there was there was like guilt a huge amount of guilt there as well so Yes, processing, but these were all ADHD emotions as well. Like, you know, the, the guilt, the RSD, the overthinking. So it was just, it was it was a melting pot of a lot of emotions, I would say, that definitely took over a year for me to really kind of go, okay, I'm comfortable now. I can talk about the ADHD. I can talk about how it shows up for me. Um, and that's when I was like, you know what? I'm gonna, this is the podcast. Because I already had a podcast. Um, and it was coming to a natural end because I was seeking an answer and I hadn't found that answer. So the answer came in ADHD. So it was kind of like a natural progression to start a podcast for women with ADHD. I don't know if that was, you even remember the question you asked me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it, it was, it was perfect. No, no, it was, it was really, it was really nice to hear. And it's such a, it, it was, how did you feel after the diagnosis? And I think what you said really rung true, especially for me like when I got the diagnosis I just jumped on social media and I announced it to the world and actually that was probably the wrong thing to do and it took a while and I'm still really going through the phases of looking back at my life with the understanding that I now have and saying that's why 
I drank too much. That's why that relationship failed. That's mm. why I didn't stick at that job. Um, and that's a process that I don't think I'll ever get to the end to because there's constant, there's always things, new things happening in my life now that are good and bad that are a result of ADHD. Do you, when you look back in your life now with the context of ADHD, like do you, can you pinpoint specific things that happened as a result of it that you wish you knew at the time? Mm. Yeah, I mean, from, there's lots of perspective from a professional perspective, sure. Um, always having new ideas, new thoughts for new businesses, giving lots of business ideas to friends of mine. Like it, it would be a running joke that we'd have dinner. I'd be like, you need to start a business about this, or you should really like <laughs> do this, like constantly just literally giving out as many entrepreneurial ideas and realizing that not everyone wants to run their own business. Not everyone <laughs> wants to kind of pivot and, and do something. Whereas for me, it's like nothing more exciting than, you know, starting a new business and thinking of new ideas and concepts and things like that. So, I mean, that's really helped me in being an entrepreneur. I, I love that side of thing. And I love working with ADHD entrepreneurs for that reason, because, we all have similar, you know, minds and we're always sort of dabbling in different things. Um, but on the flip side, I had a lot of internalized anxiety, um, fear, worry, catastrophizing, um, just being very hypervigilant. And I think being a mum, again, you know, compounding the fear and the worry and all of that um, anxiety from my, you know, on my kids, like worrying about them, um, health anxiety, phobias, little, you know, all those things that it, I just thought were just me and people, you know, friends, well-meaning friends, family members would laugh that, you know, there's Kate worrying again, or there's Kate kind of like being our health and safety person, because I would literally see things and go, that's really dangerous, they shouldn't be doing that. Or I'd see my kid literally crawling towards somewhere way before anything had happened. And I would have already seen what was gonna happen. And I'd like race there and everyone would think I was being, like totally paranoid and neurotic, but I could see, you know, three steps ahead of them, you know, falling down the stairs or trapping their finger in the door and, and things like that. So that really makes you quite an anxious person to live with and you don't feel very settled. Um, and so that, that was really hard to navigate. And I think as I was getting older, as hormones were like playing a part and all things like that, um, especially after you've had kids and all the things that go on, you know, hormonally after kids, I could see the anxiety and the ADHD sort of rearing its head more and more. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a roller coaster. I've always had a very busy mind, always, and I see that in one of my children now, who is exactly the same as me, and she has lots. You know, she clo you turn the light off, and she cl you know closes her eyes, and all of a sudden, all these things come into her head. And um, I've had to find lots of holistic ways to help myself and you know things that I help with my, you know, my children as well um so you know I get laughed at a lot for having oils and um all sorts of things and crystals and massages and tapping and all these things that just I find really helpful to kind of calm my nervous system and to calm that um that motor that endless motor that wants to keep driving me and pushing me but I have to from like a health perspective like kind of go no it's time to, it's okay it's like safe to slow down it's safe to stop it's okay to rest whereas from a productivity level 
I could keep going. I could keep like, oh, let's do this. Let's launch that. Let's, but I know that my nervous system is so prone to burnout that I'm always on like management patrol, like prevention patrol, which again is exhausting, you know, constantly being one step ahead is tiring. Um, And I work with a lot of clients who have quite similar traits as well. So yeah, it's, it's about energy. It's about our energy management, but from all angles as well. Um, and when we get that, when we kind of like in balance, there's some form of equilibrium. And again, you know, in life, things that are thrown at us, circumstances and external situations that we don't, we can't control over. We have to be able to pull in those resources and pull in the tools and, and kind of go, OK, right. I need to step back from this now or um, change or it, it's OK to pull the plug on certain things if it doesn't feel right. So, um, so yeah, a lot of self-awareness, I would say. Gosh, you said so many things there that really just made me want to jump in and, 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 and expand on. I think like the hypervigilance, I'd, I'd love to talk about that a bit later on. Um, the entrepreneurial link, which you alluded to, and I've seen so many people with ADHD be drawn to the entrepreneurial lifestyle for reasons that you said, really, the, the, the excitement, the craving for something new, the not... The, the, the energy um but as you said the the how to maintain that level of excitement past the initial phases of starting a yeah. business and burning out or just abandoning it completely once you've found something new to obsess over yeah. um that's something a lot of people have issues with i've certainly started loads of things the, the old domain joke you know how many domains have you got in your basket <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the on the website many um, <laughs> Yeah. Likewise, yeah, and, and it's, it's so true, isn't it? You fight, you sort of get obsessed with a new project, and, and then and then will it last? But I think what with the burnout, and that's that's such a big topic that is such also such a recurring theme on this podcast, especially with entrepreneurs, and it's such a something to be so aware of. How with you, like how when you when that burnout is around the corner, or it's it's you can it's coming. Do you, are you aware? Do you get some warning and can you sort of change what you're doing to try and alter that path? Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, when you can like sense a storm brewing, you know, like there's something in the air and I can feel, you know, you can feel it and people start bringing their garden furniture in and things like that. It's yeah. it's a little bit kind of like me because I can feel it and I can feel like the palpitations and the irritability and I'm snappy. Um, I'm not very nice to be around like, my husband like can sense it as well and I have now learned to retrospectively kind of like almost stop at that point okay I'm being snappy and irritable um I'm 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 being like a martyr and I'm blaming and and I can sort of almost sort of see myself from um from an outside perspective and I kind of think okay what's gone on what have I done what have I overcommitted to like where have I pushed what meet how many more meetings have I tried to slot in in that week um or something's happened with like kids like I've had kids off sick or I've had parents evening and I've had to work late in that evening or there's been a podcast episode that I've not prepped for and all these little things and and it's like this sort of snowball effect um so I try now and um stop at that point where I'm like okay right what's what's happening in the next few days what can I pull out pull out of what can I change um and that's when I start being really intentional about the choices and what I do and also when have I not been on a walk like yoga when have I not seen friends like when have I not gone and had fun 
like genuinely if I'm just if I look back and think I've all I've done is work all week I've not seen a friend not had a conversation not done anything fun I'm like right okay I need to scrap that meeting that it's a sort of like do I need it probably not I can push it back let's call a friend let's go for a dog walk and have a coffee you know these little things make a massive difference so yeah I think it's just being a lot more aware and conscious of my own energy and using using it when I need like to really push forward if it's like a really important time and actually taking a step back and um, pulling back when I can um you know I try and make an effort now that I have time off over the summer when my kids are off so I can um go on holiday and not have to bring my laptop or make sure that um if things have been really busy with like one-to-one clients I have time away so I can recharge regroup um you know, really kind of like re-nourish myself because I'm a burnt out me is no good to, to anyone that I coach um, or on the podcast or anything that I do. So yeah, it's, it's, I've definitely not got it down to a T for sure. And I'm constantly changing things, but I just think it's being more mindful about the choices that I make each week, each day, if I'm honest. It's so useful. Um, and everything you said is relatable just zooming in on something you said and you said that if you can feel it coming then you can look at the calendar and and essentially cancel certain appointments or say push that back Mm. and I'm thinking if I did that I would be so anxious about um letting that person down and there's that sort of like people pleasing element inside me and that would not be able to do that in a way Mm. and and even if I did it I would be anxious that that person now doesn't like me because I've let them down. Is that something you relate to at all? Yeah, definitely. I think it definitely helps working in this neurodiverse space for sure, because anyone that I speak to on the podcast, we're always very honest. And like, say someone forgets or someone turns up late or the equipment's broken, like there's always humor there now. There's never like, oh, I can't believe you've done this. You're a time waster. It's always like compassionate. Um, there's humor, there's understanding. And also the same with my clients, like within reason, obviously I don't, would never cancel a client, um, you know, last minute and vice versa. I would hopefully expect client not to sort of cancel on me last minute. But there is, because of this space that I work in, the community that I work in, if I'm honest and I'm vulnerable and I turn around and say, listen, I'm feeling really burnt out. And if I do this now with the capacity that I've got, it's not gonna, it's, we're not gonna have the best kind of meeting conversation or whatever it's gonna be. So would it be okay if we reschedule, you know, a date convenient to you and to me and, and, and do it like from a human to human perspective of we're not robots and our productivity isn't our worth. And so I just think the more we're honest and open about burnout, mental health, energy capacity, all of that, it allows other people who perhaps we put on a pedestal, you know, I've got a massive, you know, trait of putting people who I believe are more successful than me or more educated than I am on a pedestal and I can't let those people down. But actually, you know, like when we're able to connect and say, oh, my kid was up all night um, or I've not been able to to sit down on my, my laptop, you know, all morning because of something, they, they, we can understand and we can, we can help each other. So, I know that everyone 
doesn't work in the space that I work in. I know that it's much harder for people if they're working corporate environment and they've not even disclosed about the ADHD. Um, that is much more difficult. They work in a very fast paced industry. All these things I understand because I used to work in PR, um, very fast paced, high pressure. Um, you know, you've got to have a game face on the whole time. But thankfully, I don't work in that environment anymore where I don't have to do that. And I can be a bit more honest and open and hopefully open the door for people to do the same and realise that what we're going to have on our gravestone at the end of our life. Oh, she never missed any meetings. She was <laughs> she was always there. She was always, you know, or, you know, hopefully she was a good person who helped people. And that's what I hope would be on my gravestone anyway. That's such a a bigger understanding now of, of burnout and there's so much more conversations around it that I think it, it really just backs up what you said um, if, if you just say that you're experiencing the symptoms of it and you're just trying to adjust your path a little bit to work around it or to avoid it completely then then um, the hope is like you said that people will will have the understanding especially within the, the neurodivergent community where that, mm. that understanding and awareness is is I imagine heightened you mentioned earlier um, heightened vigilance um, and I guess intuition uh, mm. how, how, whichever many ways to say it and I'm still intrigued as to sort of what causes that and where it comes from and and you know there's lots of explanations but for you do you think that it shows up in your life in a sense that you are a good judge of character you see now I like to see the good in everyone so my 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 husband always says to me that I sometimes am blindsided by people um where he's a bit more cynical so he seems to think he's a better judge of character because he can sort of see the underlying things. Whereas I like to give everyone a chance and hopefully they'll prove me right. And sometimes they do prove me wrong. And I'm like, oh, I should have seen that. Why didn't I see that? Um, but with regards to the hypervigilance and the... Um, but sometimes, I mean, do sometimes I'll get I'll get a feeling. I'll just get that, that person's a bit off or that person, mm, do I believe what they're saying or there's something about them where the intuition i've had to lean into that because i've sort of there's been a huge amount of self-doubt you know for years and years of years of just genuinely not trusting in myself my capabilities like i literally had to have someone say to me you know you're good at this don't you you know you, you can do this whereas i there's absolutely no way i could do that and i've had it's been learned it's been learned self-belief i've had to do the thing the scary thing to go oh okay, so I didn't die or I didn't crumble on the floor. Like, and um, that didn't go horribly wrong. So I've had to put myself into lots of uncomfortable situations to prove to myself that I can do the thing that maybe someone else has told me that I can do. Um, so the self-belief has, has grown. Um, and then the hypervigilance is there. The hypervigilance is there of constantly like fearing the worst, fearing, you know, what could potentially go wrong. But making a choice, I think it's a lot of mindset work that I've done on myself, a, l a huge amount of work, you know, self-development work of I've seen a family trait of like being led by fear and led by worry and all the potential pitfalls and what could go wrong. Do I want to live my life like that? Not really. No, it's not. It doesn't serve. It's not served, you know, my family member. It's not served the family. So maybe it's better to maybe start choosing what if it does go well? What if this does succeed? What if, um, 
you know, I can do this thing. And that has helped me enormously, just making that decision to choose to go against the default way of thinking, that default sort of part of our brain that does like to hone in, you know, that negativity bias that, you know, we Ned Halliwell talks about the DMN, the default mode network in our brain, which is a part of our brain, which um, likes to really heighten that, that, that catastrophization, that fear, which kind of like um, helps with the theory of us being the watch, you know, the, what the guy, the people in the watchtower and being those people that are, are keeping watch over the cave while, you know, other people are sleeping makes me feel better about myself understanding maybe from an anthropological way of how ADHD sort of sits in our, in our body, in our genes, whatever, because we then understand that we're the big picture thinkers. We're the ones that can see the, the, the problems. We can see the things before they arise but also at the detriment of our, sometimes our mental health, you know, it gives us anxiety, it gives us, you know, our nervous systems. It's, we've got this stress response, you know, our, our sympathetic nervous system is always very heightened. So we have to constantly be like, that's a cool trait. You know, we can see, uh, we can trend spot, we can see things in the future, but at the same time, like we need to settle ourselves. We need to calm ourselves and we don't always have to be, hypervigilant and looking out for danger um so yeah it is definitely a balance that i'm still trying to work out so fascinating listening to you speak and you said something earlier um that i just wanted to go back to because it's been on my mind you said health anxiety mm. um and and that's something that i can relate to my gp is laughs every time i walk through the door now because it's just so so often you know i'll find something and he'll you know i'll find a, a a lump in my neck and it it's a lymph node uh but until my gp says that that's completely normal and everyone has these um i think i'm dying and it's silly to a lot of yeah. people but for me the fear and anxiety is real it keeps me up i can't focus until i get um that confirmation from a professional that i'm, that I'm being silly or I'm, I'm not nothing to worry about so is that something that you've noticed it's something i've never spoken about or 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 even realized until you mentioned it is that something that you see a lot within the community definitely definitely and again it is something that's not really talked about a lot i did a podcast episode with grace timothy um and we talk about this actually about health anxiety and um we were both really like oh my god it's so good to be able to like talk about this and i have this but not only do I have this, I see that in family members as well and my kids. And when I speak to other people, we always make this joke that we're like, we'd make better doctors because we know about all these like random, um, you know, illnesses and um, rare disorders that we've researched about. Um, and, you know, actually, weirdly, there's, there is a really high propensity of doctors with ADHD. And um, I've had quite a lot of them as, cl as clients that have come to me and they work, you know, GPs, A&E, they work in very sort of specific areas. Um, and again, I just wonder if that is down to this kind of like being able to hyper focus, um, but also this sort of hyper vigilance of being kind of like looking and spotting things. I just think that's we're, we're very sensitive. And we, you know, if this, we find something in our body like a lump, we will really kind of hone in on that and our brain will kind of like go into, you know, hyper mode and really kind of be like, I need to know what this is. Um, and I understand because it's really anxiety inducing. So um, maybe just knowing that there's a connection between health anxiety and ADHD is helpful for people. Um, 
but yeah i totally get it i wish i had like something else to offer on that because I, I it is a bit you know especially when you've got kids and something you know is presented you know and you think oh my god like i need to get them to a doctor um it's really it's really scary as a parent but it's also you don't want to project your anxiety onto your your child as well and give them that similar you know worry um but yeah it is it's a thing mm. no i think you've said a lot and you know if, if it just plants the seed in someone's mind to make them know that it's 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 it is a thing to you know in the community then that that could, that could be really beneficial mm. um and it has been for me because i it's been something that has just been it's always brewing in the background with me i mean to be honest every day there's it's the, ex, the range of extremities of the anxiety is dependent on what's going on with my body um if i feel a bit off one day i catastrophize uh, if I, you know, if I stub my toe, I think my foot needs to come off. Um, so it depends, but it's always there, you know, it, it's, and it always depending on how, what, what it is that I've discovered, which every single time in my 34 years has proven to be nothing to worry about. So yeah, super interesting. So no, thank you for, for saying that. Yeah. Um, with the self-confidence thing and, and the, and the, you know, you said you've done a lot that has essentially built evidence up to show that you are capable of doing what you're doing do you do you, when you see your podcast doing so well do you get imposter syndrome oh my god huge amounts of pod you know podcast um, imposter syndrome yeah it's it's really weird because I I don't even know how it, it's happened I don't even know how like the podcast took off and then when I started seeing it within the first three months on like Apple's um carousel of you know podcasts to watch or podcasts that are helping and you know I see the numbers and the listeners and I see where they're listening from and I get the messages I'm just kind of like when are people going to find out like when are going to people find out that like I don't really <laughs> know anything about anything and I'm just talking shit um <laughs> but then I kind of think well even if I'm talking shit and people are help, it's helping people, then I'll just carry on speaking. And if it's helping, then that's great. I don't profess to be a doctor. I don't profess to be a therapist or, you know, a, an expert in huge amounts, but I do have like some credentials. And I just hope that maybe just even talking and asking questions and getting curious, just those questions alone are helping people. But yeah, the imposter syndrome is definitely there. 100%. And I see that, but again, I see that with like so many of my clients who have got PhDs and, and masters and they're running amazingly successful businesses and they are still internalizing that imposter syndrome and going, someone's going to find out, like someone's going to know that this is just a big ruse and this is a big joke and like someone's going to pop out of a box and say, you know, candid camera. And, <laughs> but yeah i don't know i'm not sure about the imposter syndrome i don't know how how to get over that apart from just keep going like you literally just put one foot in front of another and just every day you get up have an intention have a have a reason stick to your values be as authentic as you can try not to put unrealistic expectations on yourself i think sometimes when i put like huge amount of pressure on myself and i put all these expectations and that's when it like it goes off the scale and i'm like there's absolutely no way i can do that like there's no way i can write a book there's no way i'm going to go on this podcast there's like no way i'm going to speak to D ned halliwell on my podcast like all these different things and then 
I have a conversation with like the guru of ADHD and he is just the most lovely guy and wants to include me as a case study in his book. And I'm like, is this a joke? But it is, it is what it is. And you kind of just ride with the adventure of life and just enjoy, enjoy those moments of like fun and excitement. And I kind of like, I've got to that point in my life where it's like, enjoy, enjoy those moments where you, in your wildest dreams, you wouldn't have thought that would happen. And then when you have the moments where it is a bit flat and it is a bit kind of like, oh, okay, it's a bit mundane this. And, you know, you just kind of just ride with it and embrace the ebbs and the flows and the cycles and just keep going, keep going and and hope for the best. And keep, I would just keep saying, just like keep checking in with your values. Like, what am I doing this for? Am I doing this because I want to get more likes? I want to get more algorithms? Like, um, I want to get... Um, I, I want more followers or am I doing this because I genuinely believe in the cause I genuinely believe in what I'm talking about so sometimes I do have to do those check-ins and be like okay no like I don't particularly want to be an ADHD influencer that's not part of my kind of the thing so do I need to show up on social media every single day no and but the, there's a voice in me that goes oh should this one's doing it that one's doing it you know you need to get more likes on you know to if you want to do this or that but no I just have to keep checking back in and hoping for the best and realigning it's like it's like just just come back and it's like hey realign the ship you know just go back and 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 Mm. do what do what you do best and do what you enjoy as well there's such a danger I think if you are if you do start chasing like you said the likes of the algorithm that you can lose touch of mm. of the reason why you started you know I think you've got a clear value offering with your podcast and and you see it sometimes when the the advocate turns into an influencer whether that's intentionally or not and you know sometimes it's amazing but sometimes the 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 desire to sort of chase the algorithm can dilute the value offering um when you and this is an interesting one because every guest is different and it's so individualistic to each person when you do the thing that you have to show up for so in your case I guess it's recording the podcast episode um do you have like a routine or a or a or a set of things that you do or or things that you try and avoid to make sure that when you have to show up as your best self you aren't affected by an unwanted reaction or stimulus with the podcast it is a hyper focus of mine because i'm genuinely fascinated so when i'm there it's like phone away no pop-ups and i really want to have that conversation because i'm genuinely intrigued about that person but also how's it going to help the listener like what questions can i ask to make sure that you know if they've got access to this person um which potentially they couldn't have access to because the waiting times or cost or just purely because they, they, they're such busy people. I need to make sure that these questions um, are being asked so they can get the answers they deserve. Um, but also, yeah, I need to make sure that I've gone for a walk. Like I've not sat in front of my laptop, you know, all day. Um, I, I really kind of make the most out of that hour that I've got with the guest to make sure that, um the episode is as helpful as possible. And sometimes I put a lot of pressure on myself to do that. Um, But I know from working from home, if I just sit in front of my laptop, it's no good for anyone. So I do, I take regular breaks, um, always make sure that I have at least an hour outside walking, um, 
sometimes I just need silence, like absolute silence. And I just need to kind of just take a breath and just work out what's going on in my head. Um, and then other times I just need to listen to like fast music, dopamine, like really, you know, kind of build myself up. Or sometimes I just like, I really need to just listen to a podcast and just escape my own thoughts and just listen to someone else. But the whole time I'm always thinking, my kids come home from school about four. I have to make sure that I'm not stressed, overwhelmed, antsy, on edge, you know, irritable because I want to be available and mindful um, to, to give them some space and gives them some time that they want to tell me about their day. It doesn't always happen. Like very often I could like finish a meeting and I go straight in the car, pick up my kids. They're all hungry, they're tired. And then that, you know, all the emotional dysregulation just bounces off each other and it's just a big chaotic mess in the house. But on the whole, I do try and give myself a bit of space between work me and the and the parent version of me as well. Um, so, yeah, it sometimes happens, sometimes doesn't. Gosh, I mean, it's it, yeah, fascinating. And thanks for being so honest with that. I think it's it's it's, it's so individual um, with with you mentioned your husband earlier and just finally um because it's a question that it's probably the most asked question that i see in in my dms and i don't oft, always know how to answer it is adhd and relationships um is can be an interesting i mean it's a huge topic um but just from your point of view um i guess how does adhd show up in your marriage and is there an understanding that your husband has that he knows that when you do certain things or go into hyper-focus mode he he, he gets it mm. that makes sense yeah so he he when I got the diagnosis he wasn't surprised at all um but he did have a bit of an outdated view on ADHD um and perhaps a little bit sort of a stigmatized view on it as well but we've worked through lots of things together and I've been able to educate him and, and explain to him about, you know, things like RSD um, and my anxiety and how it shows up. And also from a hormone perspective and, you know, really understanding it, you know, he would see the cycle. He would see that cycle throughout the month of how my mood would be. And so it gave him a lot of validation as well that he wasn't imagining, you know, the, the impact that my hormones had on, on my mood, my, my ADHD. But also he's not entirely neurotypical himself. So he, you know, readily admits that there's there's sprinklings of neurodivergence going on, whatever, you know, in whatever capacity that is. And that's helped open his eyes as well and really understand it. And also kind of be like a bit more, okay, I can see a certain traits in myself, um, which is very common. You know, very often, you know, we'll kind of where it likes attracted to like and we'll be attracted to somebody that also has interesting traits um but sometimes they can um go at loggerheads and sometimes they can really kind of like embrace each other um so it, it's always an interesting conversation adhd in relationships but what i have tried to explain to him is definitely it's the rejection rejection sensitivity i think has been a big thing for me to kind of explain to him why i would hyper focus on something um also just when he sees that I'm restless or he sees that I'm about to embark on another business idea and he's like, no, 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 no. Why are you doing that when you're still in the process of doing this? Pull the reins, like, why are you doing that? Or he'd say, that's there's no market for that. I'd be like, yeah, it's niche. He's like, it's too niche. I'm like, but we like niche. <laughs> he's like, it's too niche. And I'm like, 
but I don't believe you. (laughs) So we often have conversations about that. But what's interesting, he's got his own business. And I say to him Mm -hmm. about something and I say, you should really focus on this market. You should really try this thing. And he's like, no, 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 it's, you know, it's not. And then two years later, he goes, oh, we're doing this thing. And I'm like, I told you two years ago, why didn't you listen to me? And so he's now starting to recognize that um, maybe it's worth listening to me as opposed to me just having sort of harebrained ideas uh, where he would be very sort of like corporate minded about it. Whereas my imagination and my ideas and sometimes the, the little kind of things that I think about that seem a bit like wacky, actually they do have legs. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting process. We've been together for over 20 years and we've definitely grown and evolved and changed together and there's been good times and harder times. Um, so yeah, it's very personalized ADHD in relationships. I, I, I don't think mm. you can say this is how it looks. But there's definitely common threads I hear a lot with people, for sure. I think, um, thank you uh, for, for being so honest and, and sharing that. I think it's, you mentioned RSD in, in relationships and, and the, the potential challenges that that can pre- uh, present. And just thinking about the, the guests and my experience with it, for me, that's the biggest hurdle with relationships and friendships, but just, or just on friend, relationships, you know, the slightest comment, uh, you, you can really take it personally and, and really have a quite an extreme reaction to it and even though 99% of the time they might not have meant any harm they didn't it, it doesn't stop the, the, the intense feeling and potential argument that could follow mm. you know and and, um, and the conflict that can come out of that situation in relationships um, so yeah thank you thank you for for sharing that and is that you said RSD was uh, the, the the biggest thing in in your uh with 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 your marriage i think and did is that do you have any like when that happens and that if if there's a comment and and you go into that sort of reaction does he have that understanding to know to kind of let you go through that process it's interesting because there's certain things like i might flag something up to him and go well well this this happened with this person and he's like you're just being sensitive and I'm like, well, yeah, I am sensitive. So I'm trying to explain to him that I sense like nuances in a conversation, like you say, or like a little thing. And I'll pick up on that, be like, well, that's just really annoying. Like, why did they say that? And I'll I'll kind of ruminate over it. But also I'll pick up on his mood and his vibe. And I'll say, you're being really like tetchy today. Like, why are you being so, he's like, I'm not. I'm like, I can just feel there's a vibe. And he's like, what do you mean there's a vibe? I'm like, I can feel that you're just being like, irritable and he's like I wasn't being irritable but I am being irritable now (laughs) so it's it's kind of like I would say it comes down to like the being an empath and really like sensitive and really feeling people's emotions that the definitely this this RSD feeds into I I don't know I don't want to kind of be too generalized with men and women because some men are very sensitive and some men aren't he is a lot more pragmatic than I am put it that way he can just kind of like see a situation and be like well that's that's what it was and move on um he doesn't really kind of like overthink things um, which is good for me because he can just be that kind of like perspective person that just goes 
I see what you're talking about, but just you're going to have to get over it because what's the point? You're just agonising yourself. You're just making yourself ill with that. So you do need that person. Mm. I do think you need to have someone whose brain works slightly differently to you to help you get out that funk, to like get you out or like to make you laugh or to distract you because RSD can be debilitating. It can be paralyzing and it can be um, something that really kind of um, derails us. But if we have someone that can almost like be the antithesis and, and I do talk about humor a lot with ADHD because we do need to have a sense of humor and we do need to get out of our internal self because it's very easy for us to live in this kind of like um, this this world of just being in our own minds. And when we do and we you know, have someone that can pull us out and get us here in the in the here and now or let's go out for a drink or let's do this. Let's go for a walk or um, let's make dinner can just get like that switch can flick and it can be often a very powerful switch and then we sleep on it or we go for a walk and we kind of think oh actually you know the energy shifted a little bit with that and that's that's helped um so i do very much you know as practical as it sounds with rsd i sort of say to people go for a walk just go move the energy out like shake it out dance it out run it out do whatever you need need to do to disseminate that like energy um and also just to, to, to go to sleep. Sometimes we're just so tired and we've thought about it so much that we just need to sleep, wake up in the morning and go, this actually wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Um, but yeah, that that's, I mean, it's kind of like not exactly rocket science, is it? But it does help. That's fascinating, Kate. Thank you so much for, 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 for sharing that and for being so honest. And I think that's, uh, um, yeah, super helpful for me and it's and it's i'm no doubt it's going to be helpful for the listeners um i think it's a really nice place to end the conversation as well and thank you for being so honest and thank you for 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 sharing your story and and for coming on i know we're incredibly lucky to, to to have some of your time today um gosh yeah thank you kate massively appreciate it thank you so much Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, yeah, it's nice to to not have to be worrying about the conversation and I can just talk freely without worrying about the next question. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Thanks, yeah. Ali. No worries. Thanks so much, Kate. Bye. See you then. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.